Hello, it's Jeff. Just before we get to the show, just a friendly reminder to hit follow or subscribe on your podcast app so it's downloaded and ready to go. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel. Welcome to the Blue Hotel. We're on episode four with the special guest who's become our new favorite voice as of late. And we've got a new erotic bedtime story featuring two guy friends, one of whom is partnered with a woman, and they get up to some steamy, hot summertime fun. Now, that in mind, before we start, let's breathe together. There's a simple way we start every episode with to calm down and get in the frame of mind to enjoy conversation about pleasure. And at the end of the day, pleasure is a rather worthy pursuit. It's good for your mind, good for your body, good for your heart and soul. So let's breathe in the air now. Three big, deep breaths. Here we go with the first one. Big breath in and out. All right, a second big breath in. And out. And finally, one more big breath in. And out. It's better, isn't it? Especially when you're a bit anxious or just not breathing, because we forget to do it. It's weird, but it's true. Now, I'm excited to share, not this time, but in the next episode, I'm going to have the director of the film Sex with Sue, the story of the legendary sex educator Sue Johansson. That director will be in episode five. And Sue, I mean, gosh, she always knew how to tell it like it is. In romantic relationships, that's uh, something of a challenge for many. Telling someone how you feel, getting to the truth, being vulnerable, asking of them to be the same. And you know what it takes more than anything else is the uh, C word, something rather essential to every successful relationship. I don't know about you, but a lot of us at a young age, when we first started doing it, asking someone on a date, that took courage. And asking someone to maybe not do that, or do more of that, or having the courage to say no, or yes, and here's how. And I mean, how many dating horror stories might have been averted with a little more courage? And how many relationships might have actually improved or concluded sooner with a little courage? You know the mistake we make thinking we have time. The time to do better is now. Dating is a bit of a crapshoot, isn't it? I don't know if you remember your first, the first sort of official time you said to somebody, you want to go on a date? Or had someone say that to you? Which might have sounded like, do you want to go to the grade six dance? Or you want to meet at the park? Or go roller skating? Or whatever the thing was that you did. Which turned to, how about dinner? Or let's get a drink? Or want to meet for coffee? Or... There was one time that I hadn't really done this before, but the woman that I dated later told me that the reason she went out with me is that I was direct and kind of took the bull by the horns. I just said, let me take you to dinner instead of do you want to go? And at that time, she needed that. Not everyone does. You just don't know. And the way dates happened used to be rather limited, right? Forever ago, it was through letters or face-to-face. Asking someone out over the phone couldn't happen until the late 1800s when phones became a thing. 
And then more than a hundred years later, we started asking each other out on dates by text. And something we forget about in the way we put ourselves out there was on the upswing in the 1960s, classifieds, you know, personal ads. And then matchmaking started being a thing around 1968, whereby you answered questions and then they matched you theoretically with somebody who was compatible. Now, it was 1987 in Toronto, appearing in the back pages of Now magazine. You may recall the Canadian equivalent of the Village Voice for our American friends, in which a new crop of personals sprouted up, with a gay option soon added, too. Then at the very beginning of the 2000s, Lava Life broke out city by city, and then eHarmony, and from the late 90s to now, Things like JDate, Match.com, Christian Mingle, Plenty of Fish, Okay Cupid, Who Doesn't Forget Ashley Madison, was targeted towards women, as I recall. What I do remember especially well about Ashley Madison is that my job dictated some involvement. It went like this. I was programming a Toronto radio station. They came to the table with a big ad budget, and the sales manager, being the mensch that he was, signed them up with the caveat that the content of the ads was to be reviewed and approved, and as it turned out, revised uh, by yours truly. Took a little negotiation, but, you know, they understood that I didn't want it to sound like we were approving people cheating on their spouses. Of course, Ashley Madison, like its many followers, came and went. Then Tinder came along in 2012, same year for Hinge, Bumble in 2014, Fat Life for the rather adventurous. There's Grinder for the gay and the bi and the fluid and the poly and the trans and the twinks and the tops and the bottoms and the versatile and whomever wishes to sign up and put themselves out there with a bio and a photo and a wish list. Or as it turns out, barely any info at all for those who identify as discreet. And the numbers for ways in which we date speak to the decline of people meeting by every means possible except for two things in a bar or restaurant, which is still on the rise, and by far the number one way in which people meet is, as you might have guessed, online. So call it dating, hanging out, hooking up, or whatever way you frame it. Put the numbers and the means and the ways aside. What remains constant, probably the only thing that remains constant, is the desire among humans to connect with other humans, be it companionship or all-out sex. And that leads to two rooms in the Blue Hotel. One the 15-minute fictitious erotic narration. It's called Bye Bye Baby. First, picture a dark-haired woman with green eyes, deep blue top. She has a martini in hand, chock full of olives, and a copy of her very first book. Because she got stories. We did a ride at the Blue Hotel. We did a ride at the Blue Hotel. This time we're going to begin with a paragraph of praise for the new work of our special guest this time. Quote, It begins like a Netflix series does. So wait and see if the characters and the stories are worth your time. Suddenly you're hooked. I take this ride down Karen's memory lane of colorful dates and mates and relational workups and washouts. Many a story of derailment, disaster, dumpster fires. But then the get back on the horse reboot of human holding on with both hands to the H word, hope, which we all have to do. The red flag tips of this book are brilliant. Unless anyone think this book is femme-centric, there's, there's pictures too for the guys. 
And in the end, it's ultimately a how-to that could leave you maybe horny, or maybe it's just me, end quote. And that's just mine in a series of many paragraphs of praise for the book that tells of the, get this, cautionary fails of a self-proclaimed expert on bad relationships. And she's here, the author of the new book, Harlow Books publication, Let's Talk About X, baby, Karen Zeifman. Hi, Jeff. How are you? (laughs) Good. It's been a while. And you know what? It has. It's great to have you here. Thank you. You've got your new gear all hooked up, your microphone, because I I suspect you're really busy. People are saying, let's talk about this book, Karen. I have been doing a lot of podcasts, so we'll, we'll see how, we'll see where the next few months take me. But so far, you're one of the best ones. So thank you. (laughs) We've only just begun. Now, my history, as you know, is uh, steeped in music history and trivia, and, and I remember everything about music, it seems. And I remember everything about dates, actually, that I had in my life, but you and I never dated, so it's a little fuzzy about how <laughs> you and I met. Was it radio or records or both? I think it's it was radio. Be- so I used to work in radio. I worked in radio for about eight years, and I think we just know a lot of the same people. And right. um, yeah, I think I think our paths have crossed a few times, just from being in be, you know working in the same industry. But no, we never dated. I wasn't looking <laughs> for confirmation of that. I'd remember. You would definitely remember if you dated me. Yes. Yeah. What would the telltale <laughs> sign be? Would I walk away with bruises or just uh, great memories? I don't know. You might have, you you know, if you had been added in, it might have taken up way too much of the book. So maybe it's good that we never dated. <laughs> you would have been like six a... or seven chapters for sure. Right. Yeah, it happens. Well, it's a clever book. It's witty. It's laugh out loud at times. It's compassionate and loving and silly and revealing. And yes, it's kind. It's truthful. It's a lot of things, Karen. Tell us about your realization that you wanted to write a book in the first place and get published. I think like most women, when you know, everyone handles breakups differently. And um, I tend to turn a little psycho and I have a problem with letting go. So the letting go thing was rough for me. So instead of, you know, instead of moving on, trying to find someone else or whatever, I, um, a guy broke up with me and I decided to start writing about it. And so I created a website and I was writing blogs and they were funny and people, lots, lots of people were commenting and I was getting lots of hits. And, um, and then I got approached by a writer who's also written a ton of books. And she said, you know, you've got a, I think you've got a book. You should, you should maybe think about writing a book. And so I thought, you know what, maybe I'll just start and see how it goes. And then um, at the end of about eight months, I had a book. So every chapter was sort of, I treated it like a blog and it had, it covered, you know, different themes in every chapter. And, um, but like the universal theme was just douchebag boyfriends and all the stuff (laughs) that had happened to me. And I decided to poke fun at myself and um, write a book about it. My parents obviously won't read it and don't want any part of it, but everyone else has been pretty positive. So, yeah. Well, you you know, from my experience, they maybe say they (laughs) don't want to read it, but they want to read it. They really do. My my mom's read a few chapters, um, but they... 
they were really unhappy about it when I told them I was doing this. And, you know, they thought, oh, you know, when I told them I was writing it, they thought, okay, right, you know, she's writing a book, but then it actually got published and it's, you know, on the shelves at Indigo. I think my mom um, hasn't told even one of her friends that I'm, you know, in bookstores. I think she's just sort of, she's proud of me, but she's just, she, it's, I reveal a lot. I'm happy to talk about myself. I'm happy to talk about all the stupid things that have happened to me. And um, I do reveal a lot and it, it's, it's very personal. And I think it just, um, for my family, it was a little hard for them to deal with that. Well, you know, you're preaching to the choir on that one. Uh, that's been yeah. the story of my life. But, you know, I like to say they knew you were in radio. Let's start with that. I mean, yeah. people who are in radio tend to be oversharers. And without overshare, yeah, we have no stories. <laughs> exactly. I was actually on the um, the other. I wasn't um, an announcer or anything like that. I used to write uh, the commercials for. I've I've pretty much worked for every radio station in the city, including CFNY, which is you know what we have in common as well. And um, <laughs> I yeah, I started off on radio, but there's no money in it. I don't know if there was. I'm sure you did very well, but um, I made a couple there of was. Bucks. Yeah, I I didn't. So I decided to leave. And um, now I focus mainly on digital writing and, and I do all like the dot com stuff. Well, I'm thrilled for you. And tell me this, though, I have to suspect the greatest thing about writing the book you've written is it's not censored. You're telling your story. Exactly. I, t- I mean, the things that I talk about, I just... I'm an open book, no pun intended. And I just, um, yeah, I had, I had no problem revealing all the embarrassing things. So, yeah. Well, geez, comedy is based on embarrassment oftentimes. I'm all for it. You have a way with words. You don't hold back. Leave it about the guy who took a dump in the drugstore aisle. Um, (laughs) No one needs to see that. Not in my presence. No, but he was very proud about that. And, uh, he told you, he bragged to you about telling yeah, me. Yeah, we were in the car one day driving home from somewhere and um, we drove by a shopper's drug mart. He goes, I took a shit in the aisle of that shopper's drug mart over there. And I'm like, oh, come again? What? What are you talking about? <laughs> and um, yeah, he told me he went in to ask to use the restroom and the manager said no. And he got mad and just dropped his pants and took a dump in an aisle, in the aisle and with people watching and he he thought it was hilarious he thought this was he thought what was he did he think this was going to turn me on make me more attracted to him i don't know but um at the time i laughed with him about it because you know i was in love with him and i didn't think that like i i was like oh you're so silly but then you know after we broke up i'm like this is good content and this is not okay behavior for a grown ass man. So I thought I'll just, I'll tell, I'll tell that story as well. It's not okay behavior for a four year old, but uh, what a grown ass man. At least I say, I say in the book, um, you know, if it was like a baby or, you know, it's only acceptable, like two girls, one cup or (laughs) a baby wearing a diaper. But other than that, no, don't do it. Speaking of uh, um, immaturity, um, and probably more mature than that move, um, you have a a person in your life, um, an offspring, who you hope never reads your book. Tell me more. (laughs) 
Yeah, I have a 12-year-old boy. Um, unfortunately, he sat beside me pretty much the entire time I wrote it. So he does actually know a lot of the stories, but I like, there are certain things that obviously I've kept from him and I've told him he's not allowed to read it. And um, he hasn't actually like, you know, I've got a bunch of copies lying around the house and stuff. He hasn't actually picked it up and read it, but he does know a lot of the stories and um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping like his, one of his, his best friend's parents bought the book and they're like, um, and they messaged me and they're like um, their son, their son's name is Jacob. They're like, Jacob's reading the book. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like he's 10 (laughs) or 12 or, you know, like you, your kids cannot read the book. So she took it away from him. But um, yeah, my son, unfortunately, does know a lot of my antics and um, a lot of my past, because we're very open with each other. But um, I would prefer if he waits until he's 18 to read it in full. <laughs> That's a lofty goal. Yeah, instead of instead of grabbing Playboys, he's going to be grabbing mommy's book with his friends <laughs> going around the corner and, and reading little excerpts of it. And yeah. So what did you do as a person who was, you know, reaching puberty and beyond? Um, what was the, what was the taboo source material that you would have uh, consumed? What do you remember? You know, I actually don't remember, um, really getting into porn or anything like that. Like I don't, I was, I think I was really prude at that age. And I remember, um, I had a boyfriend, um, like I was maybe 15 years old and, you know, it was the biggest deal to, he went up my shirt and it was like the biggest deal for me. And I, you know, like I was, I was quite prude until maybe 19, 18, 19 years old. So I don't have any like crazy stories of when I was like an adolescent child, but I made up for it (laughs) later on. (laughs) So I read all those magazines and stuff with the celebrities and I, you know, I put posters on my walls and stuff, but, um, yeah, I don't remember born. being too deviant or anything like that until maybe, yeah, <laughs> after I got a little older. Now, I'm trying to estimate yeah. based on reading your book how many bad dates you would have had, and I'm having a hard time. It's a lot. After my son was born, I decided to sort of take a break from dating and having relationships. And then when he was about maybe seven or eight, I was like, okay, mama needs to go and get her martini on. So I, I just started dating and I actually happened to, you know, I met, I met a few people and I was in a couple relationships over the past three years. Those two guys. So one of them was an older gentleman. He was about 65 years old. I talk about a a lot about that in my book. He was, um, you know, what sex is like with a senior citizen. I can get into that a little later, but, um, I had a relationship with him and that didn't work out. We wait, we dated for about a year. And then after that, I met another guy, some guy creeped me on Facebook and saw a picture of me in a friend's post and asked to be set up with me. And so I went out with him and he was like, Oh, finally I've met the guy. Like he's, I thought he was so great. He looked so great on paper and he was so sweet and nice at the beginning. Um, But as we know, men are often on their best behavior at the beginning of a relationship and just things just went downhill from there. Um, So a lot of the book is based on those two relationships, but 
I have so many other experiences that I've had over, you know, since I was 20 years old that I sort of weave into the book as well. There are good dates and there are bad dates. Are they just okay dates or is it just one or the other? I mean, I think that most people would say there's, there's, it can go either way and, and in between. For me, I like dating. I actually enjoy getting dressed up and having an excuse to just go out and leave my house. So even the bad dates that I go on, and I've had so many one, just, you know, one time dates that, you know, you never speak to the person after that. But at the time, during the date, I'm still having a good time because it's a night out and you're meeting a new person and you're learning about someone else. Even if it's for an hour or two, it's still a fun night. So for me, that's my approach to dating. And I've always been like that. So I've never really had, I mean, I've had bad dates. Obviously, I wrote a book about it, but <laughs> I try to make the best of it. I'm just happy to to get a steak and a martini and be in Yorkville or wherever I happen to be. And yeah, it's just nice to get out, I think. Do people call you a princess? Based on my Instagram, and I do have a line in my inst- on my Insta that says, <laughs> um, you know, pics reveal 10% of who you are, a fool believes otherwise. And I really, truly believe that. If you look at my Instagram page or my Facebook page, yes, I look like a complete princess. I'm, you know, always dressed up. I've got my nails done. I'm going to fancy dinners and fancy restaurants. But the reality is that's only most of the time I'm in my sweats and I'm on my couch and I'm just a normal person. My close friends know that I'm not um, completely shallow and, and princessy, as you're calling it. Why did you say that? Are you basing that on my on my Instagram or? <laughs> no, I don't no. know. It just struck me as uh, something that uh, I wanted to ask you about. Okay. Um, I don't see you as a princess, um, okay. but you can be girly. All women deserve to be treated like a queen, so. The king and queen relationship is a beautiful thing because it, 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 it denotes, um, if not putting someone on a pedestal, which is not great, at least elevating them to a place that you respect them, admire them, and want to be around them. And that's, I think that's, absolutely. that's a huge part of it. Yeah, absolutely. When you're in a relationship, you know, your person should be, you know, you admire him the most and you guys should be each other's favorite people. And if you're not, then there's a problem, right? You should... That's sort of my goal in life is to find my forever favorite person. And usually when I am in a relationship that whoever that person is, is my favorite person at that time. What's the longest relationship you've had to the point that it didn't feel like it was successful anymore? So yeah, some people have been together 23 years. The first two were great. You know, how long did it go? Where you really felt that that was your person and he felt the same way. I don't actually think I've ever, Jeff, it's so embarrassing. I don't actually think I've ever had a relationship having a long term that, that I thought was going to be successful. I don't think you need to measure a relationship by time. I think it's based on a connection that you have with a person and not just the amount of time that you date. I've been involved with guys before. Um, I wouldn't say they were relationships, but 
I've had, you know, long standing booty calls and 10 year, you know, 10 year things where I've been involved with people and you don't speak for a while. And then, you know, it's, it's your, your go-to person that you, you know, I'm Jeff, I'm sure you have a go-to. We all have a (laughs) go-to and those, you know, those I think tend to last longer than the actual relationships that I get into because I keep on choosing the wrong men. The last guy that I thought we, 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 we were talking marriage. We only dated for about four months, five months, but that guy was, I, I mean, I was, I was thinking marriage with this guy and we talked about it. The main thing was, I think he had an, I think he was an alcoholic and I, and it's hard because I, you know, when I was talking to the lawyer who read my book, he said, you know, you can't call someone an alcoholic, but so I, I would say from my experience, he had some issues with alcohol that were starting to interfere with our relationship. He appeared to be an alcoholic, you know, it was starting to affect us. And he also, you know, didn't have a job. Like I said, it's not, it's not so much that he didn't have a job, but it's the fact that he didn't tell me he didn't have a job until after I had fallen for him. You know, so I fell in love with this person that I didn't actually know. And then when the things started coming out, it was like, oh, I'm, I'm too in this now. I can't get out. But he wasn't right for me. And he was certainly so, not the person that I wanted to be raising my son with me as well, right? So, are you telling me that you you don't think you don't think a great date is someone who's an alcoholic and and, and jobless? Those are the best dates, <laughs> but they're the worst relationships. <laughs> right? Yeah, you can have a we lot of fun. Small, and then I mean, you wake up. We had. We had for the entire time we were together, all we had yeah. was fun. It was fun. You know, when I fall for somebody, to me, it's the connection. And so if I really, if I'm if I'm really into you, even if the sex isn't great, I'm still thinking that it's great because you're just so you just want that person so badly that you just kind of convince yourself in your head maybe that the sex is good. I don't know. So you've never had what? Bad sex with anyone? I've had a good or, no, I've had connections whereby, you know, you really feel um love um and affection and you care about and you want the best for this person, but ultimately you know it's um uh, it's inevitable that it's not going to continue forever. Yeah. Because there's some there's some stuff when you get down to it that you don't want to settle for. You don't want to settle well, for that. Well, they're they're the deal the deal breakers, right? There's there the deal breakers yeah. that we all have and everyone's got different sure. ones. Since you wrote the book, what did you learn about yourself as you're writing all this stuff down and capturing it all? It's funny now because because I've written the book, I feel like I cannot get involved with another loser again because it's so embarrassing because it'll look like I didn't grow from from it all. So um, I actually haven't started dating since since the book's been published. Um, it's only been out for about six weeks. I'm kind of ready now. I thought I'm gonna might test the waters, but I've been I was really busy writing, so I didn't. Um, yeah, I've learned so much just by reflecting on the stupid things that I've put up with. And, 
everyone's got their own different list of things that they will put up with and things they won't put up with. But I think for me, the major thing that I've learned from writing is that I do have a problem with letting go, even in friendships, not just in relationships, but just letting go in general, giving up on the idea of a person or of a relationship. Um, That's been a hard one for me. And so I'm, you know, moving forward, I'm going to try to recognize that early and not get so attached. What do you think that is? What do you think is your inability around your inability thus far to date to let go when you know you should maybe? Yeah, you know, it's 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 an interesting question. I don't know. I feel like you get used to a person and you get comfortable with that person and you know, it may maybe it's just you don't want to be a failure. And so it's like, maybe it's, maybe it has nothing to do with the guy and it only, you know, it has to do with me not being able to like admit that, you know, I made a bad choice or, you know, that kind of thing. But it's an interesting question. It's one I'm still sort of trying to figure out. Don't give up on figuring it out. I think maybe, and I can only say this from my own experience, sometimes you focus on the good and you're like, well, this is really good. And this part's really good. And, and then the other thing is you don't want to hurt somebody. I said to a therapist once years ago, because it took me a long time to come to the realizations that you're coming to. I said, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm expecting too much. I'm asking too much. Why can't I just be thankful that I do have something going on? And he said, you know what, you're not doing anybody any favors by having that attitude because eventually, given your reluctance to embrace it, you will leave. That's that's settling, right? Well, your episode number four, episode number three was Carlin Costa. And she wrote a book that basically says, don't fucking settle. Yeah. You know, our pool just gets smaller and smaller. And lots of women are settling. I have a friend that um, messaged me the other day. She's met this amazing guy. She's not attracted to him. She doesn't know what to do. She's just, I just, I don't have that urge to like rip his clothes off and kiss him and, you know, and do all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I, I told her to stick with it because not, not settle, but you know, just go out with them a few more times and see if that changes. Because I think that that can grow with time. The 65 year old man that I went out with, I was not attracted to him in this, not at all when I first met him, but I had fun with him. We went out and we left and we had fun together. And I eventually did have sex with him. And I eventually was able to get physical. It was good. It was, I got past it and then I was, and then I was attracted to him. But when I first met him, I wasn't. So I think that that can develop over time if you let it. I'm not going to disagree with you and I'm going to completely disagree with you, but it's not worth arguing. Everybody has their own path and everybody has to go with what feels right for them. But I think the general rule is that people, they expect that spark when you first meet. And if it's not there, they're very quick. You know, people are very quick to dismiss an opportunity. And all I'm saying is I am, I am an example of not dismissing the opportunity. And I, you know, I had a relationship with someone for a year that 
there was zero spark with when I first met. So I'm saying that it can happen. You want to be sexually attracted to your partner or you, 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 want, you want that. The person I was craziest about in this lifetime so far, when I first met her, I thought she was lovely. And, and they mm -hmm. say that's actually not a bad thing because uh, chemistry, everybody gives so much credit to chemistry, but chemistry is not necessarily an instant thing. You have to get to yeah. know a little bit. They say that when you go on a date, you can tell in the first, like, what do they say? Like the first seven seconds, if you're, if you like the person or not, or if, you know, it's going to go anywhere. And I think for the most part, that's correct. Like if, when I sit down, I first see the, you know, the person in front of me, I know, I know within the first 10 seconds, if I'm going to fuck this person or not, usually that's the case, but sometimes you know, you surprise yourself. And if you give the person a chance that you didn't think was going to have a chance, sometimes they work out, you know, it, it works out to, to, to be a good thing. That's all I'm saying. But it's very rare. It's an exception. It's definitely an exception. And it's only happened to me about once. So tell me this leaving dates early. The date is so bloody bad that you find a way out. Yeah. Tell me, tell me a story I mean, about finding a way out. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I did that once. I was actually having a really good time. I drunk dialed um, my my ex boyfriend from the bathroom of a date that I was on and blamed. I just told the guy that I was with, oh, you know, my son just called and I got to go put him to bed or something like that. And I knew like when my son, when, when I go out on dates, my son's like so excited. He's like the happiest person. He, you know, he's, he, he's like, stay out all night. I don't care. And I'm like, you know, I gotta, I gotta get back to my son. And, um, so he's like, no problem. He's walking me out and I'm like, you know, don't, you know, no need to wait for me. I, as I'm like kicking off my heels and, you know, he thought I, he was going to grab me a cab or an Uber. And I'm like literally running down the street in the opposite direction. I'm like, I'll call you. And, <laughs> and, you know, of course I, I'm never, you know, he knew I, well, no, he probably thought I was going to call him, but I'm like, yeah, I'll call you. It was so much. It's so great. Thanks so much. But yeah, I've done that. I've done that before. I think we all have, you know, made the, the quick exits when it's not going great. But like I said, usually I enjoy myself and I'm, if I know it's not going to go anywhere, I just sort of make the best of it. You credit your son in the book and you also credit your sister. What did your sister bring to the table? <laughs> my sister was sort of my sounding board. She did the first round of edits for me and basically helped me with the sort of development of the book. There were chapters she said like she would just call me up mortified mortified she'd be like karen i i you have to remove this chapter i had a chapter on uh, i'll tell you this but it's it didn't actually make it into the book but i had a chapter on when you're dating a guy and um he can't come and I had, I had just recently gotten back together with a boyfriend of mine and he was having trouble ejaculating, which, you know, of course I'm like, well, he's just super stressed out. He's on, he doesn't know if he can trust me again. We just got back together. And, you know, all my friends are like, he's not into you anymore. <laughs> like when it, like, it was like this really funny chapter on you know, how our sex had changed and how he was having problems with ejaculating. And my sister said, 
I'm not going to continue editing this book for you if you if you keep this chapter in here. Like she's like, it's it's too much. You got to remove it. So <laughs> I did actually take her advice and remove that chapter. Um, I thought it was a fucking amazing chapter, but um, <laughs> that did not make the book. But everything, and then and then she started, you know, other things she would make comments on. And I said, no, I'm keeping it. I'm going to be authentic. Uh, I have another chapter where I talk about how I returned a vibrator to uh, a, a, a boyfriend of mine. We had gone to Aren't We Naughty and grabbed a vibrator to have, you know, like we, you know, we kept it at his place. And when we broke up, he returned the vibrator to me. And I was like, what? Like, he actually like brought it in a bag and returned it to me thought you know maybe you can maybe you'll want to use it or something and I was I was so hurt by this one morning I woke up and I was feeling kind of you know like maybe I will use this and I did and then that morning I actually found out some information about him that he was sleeping you know he was you know you you made a post today on breadcrumbing so he was breadcrumbing me I still thought we had a chance of getting back together and then I found out that actual morning that he's already sleeping with another girl at this point and I had just found this information out and so I drove to his apartment and returned the used vibrator to his, to him. And my sister had rewritten the ending of that chapter. And she, you know, and I'm like, no, I mean, that's what happened. I'm the psycho who returned the used vibrator that I had just used that morning to my ex-boyfriend as a fuck you were done. And so Basically, to answer your question, she she helped me edit the book. She was a bit of a buzz killer. <laughs> exactly. You've shared with me something that's not in the book, so I'll share something that relates to that. So years ago, um, on Young Street, I know, ex- I know exactly. Yeah, I think she, who you're talking. Let about. Let me tell the story. So I go into Northbound years ago, and I'm into collecting rare art. There was a one of a kind pewter dildo, superbly crafted. So I buy it. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm seeing this girl that you may or may not know. We have fun with it. Oh, and it had this leather sort of end, like kind of like a horsetail on the end. It was, yeah. it was really quite something. So I guess if you put it in from behind, it would look like you have a horsetail, which reminds me of, of another series of books by Anne Rice called uh, Sleeping Beauty. That's another story. That's a story for erotic, uh, an erotic theme that's coming up on the Blue Hotel. Okay. So... um. We have fun with the thing. And then we break up. And I had positioned it as sort of a gift. No question. Yeah. It was worth a bloody fortune. And then the artist that made it passed. So it's worth even more now. And uh, and so me, like a couple years later, I'm texting or emailing her. Listen, if that's things just collect, and I positioned it this way. If that's collecting dust in a drawer (laughs) and you really don't care about it, I'll I'll give you a couple hundred bucks for it. Then you have something for something that you don't care about. And I didn't know whether she cared about it or not. No response. I hear from an ex-wife, you know how people keep in touch with everybody you ever went out with? It seems that's the story of my life. My ex-wife comes to me, texts me, what are you you calling your your ex-girlfriend and trying to get a vibrator out of her? I'm like, well, it was a piece of art. It wasn't just a vibrator from the local store. 
I said, I thought maybe, you know, it was just in a drawer and it would never be seen again. And if she didn't want it, she might prefer $200. I tried one yeah. more time about a year later, Karen. I, I said, listen, if you didn't get my first message, I'd love that thing <laughs> back if you don't care about it. And, yeah. and, and no response the second time either. But uh, so you'll have to ask I, her. I, I do. I do remember this story very well. Um, I think that I actually even saw the text that you sent her or the message that you sent her. Um, I'm currently not friends with her right now. Um, Did she take one of your dildos as well? She she didn't. (laughs) And luckily, I never left anything at her place that I had to ask for back. But um, she's she's a tough cookie. She's a tough cookie. And um, she's a hard person to to get along with and be consistent with. And I mean, I don't know what I mean, I do know a little bit about what your relationship was with her. But um, we've we've been sort of on and off for the past few years. And well, I've known her for 20 years, but um, we're 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 on a break right now. So when I do reach out all I will. You know, should I? Do you want me to like look in her drawers and try to find yeah, totally. it for you? And do it. Yeah, do it, yeah. It's got some real weight to it. There'll be a finder's yeah. fee. I'd rather yeah. give you the money. Um, yeah, that's that's your mission if you choose to accept it. I am so uh, excited. Maybe I will reach out to her tomorrow. I, I, yeah, you'll have to be clever about how you approach it because she's she's quite sharp. Just tough cookie. That's what comes to mind when I when I think about her. She's she's a tough friend. She's a tough friend. Tough friend. But the letting go you talked about. Sometimes it's tough to let go, and there's a no. multitude of reasons why we need to let go. And sometimes it's because the sex is actually pretty goddamn good, and you're like, yes, jeez, yes. that's the part I like. So let's I've keep had doing so that. So many relationships where, um, you know, it's you you stay because of that, or you stay. Sometimes it's not even just the sex. Sometimes you're just staying because the familiarity of it all and it's comfortable. And like I mentioned before with the 10 pounds of COVID weight that we all, like I have guys I know I can call up right now and they don't care what size I am. They're, they're good to go. They're ready. And I'm comfortable with that. I don't want to start with someone new and have to explain myself or feel self-conscious about my body in any way. And so we go back to the familiar people that, that accept us for who we are and that already know the sex is good and it doesn't matter if you're carrying a little, you know, like that kind of thing. I mean, I, I do that a lot and I'm working on it. I'm working on not allowing toxic people to be in my life when they shouldn't be. And even with the girl that we're talking about that you dated, I reached out to her about a month ago and I said, I miss you. Like I just, it's, it's it's hard for me to let go. And we had gotten into some stupid fight and her response back to me was just so disappointing. And so um, it just felt like, you know, why am I, why am I pushing something when it's probably not worth pushing. And so like, I, you know, even, even in relationship, even in friendships, it's the same thing. And I, so after she sent me back the message and I, I just didn't, it didn't sit well with me. I just let it go. I did let it go, but I do have a problem with, you know, I do, I will, I will reach out to you after a year and 
I, I, I miss people. I get used to people and their presence and it's, it's tough, but I'm working on it. And wonderful in that you, you, you're very aware of, of, of the yeah. need to, to, to work on it. Are you friends with your exes? Most of them actually, other than my, other than my first wife, I'm pretty much friends or acquaintances with all of them. Um, that's, that's good. just life, life is meant to be kind and decent and humane. And yeah, uh, but sometimes you have the, to know when think, to let it go. I think I'm the opposite. I think I've got a lot of, a lot of my exes are, are blocked and haven't spoken, haven't said a word to them since, but I had a guy, um, you know, he would, every time I'd call him, he'd pick up the phone and we were already broken up at this point, but he was sort of letting, leading me to believe that maybe one day, one day, you know, one day far away, we'll get back together. He would tell me, you know, I still have your toothbrush in my cup holder or like those sexy panties that you left, that you left in my drawer. You know, I still, I still got him in my drawer and I would, you know, and I hang up the phone and think he still loves me. He's, he's got to still love me. Why is he telling me this stuff? But it's just games. It's just games. More breadcrumbs. More breadcrumbs. Yeah. I, you know, I just discovered that expression the other day where people, they, they just give you just a little bit just to keep you kind of hanging on. It's like just cracking yeah. the door a little bit. Does, do you think that maybe, maybe this is uh, still a thing? I have a chapter in my book on, on how I was breadcrumbed by, by an ex-boyfriend. And I mean, it went on for eight months, eight months before, you know, and finally, I think by the, the happy Halloween text that I got, I was like, I'm done. I can't, I, this, this isn't, you yeah, know, how, this isn't going to How happen. long do you put up with that? He called me up one day. He's like, do you want some corned beef from Center Street Deli? I'm at, I'm at the deli right now. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, sure, I'll take some corned beef. <laughs> and he dropped over. He, this is, I mean, we've already been broken up for months at this point. He, he stopped by my house with a pound of corned beef. And uh, no, no rye bread. Thanks very much. But, uh, you know, again, it was just, I was so excited. I'm, oh, he's sending me meat. Great. Maybe we'll get back together. He, he just felt guilty. He was guilty about breaking up <laughs> and wanted to bring me a sandwich. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but a gift of meat. A gift of meat. Yes. Yeah. You have some great chapter titles in here too. Um, the chapter titles alone are worth the price of this book. Yeah. Chapters like I'll give you three that I really thought were great. Okay. Chapter twenty six: Why I called the cops on my ex boyfriend's daughter. Chapter sixteen: Go ahead, Ariana, lick every donut. And chapter twenty one: Don't worry, I'm not that Karen. Yeah. Pick one of those <laughs> and dig in a little bit. Which one do you want to talk about? <laughs> I mean, which one's juiciest? The, the, I mean, they're all, they're all, they're all pretty, they're all juicy. I mean, I'm surprised. It is a juicy book, isn't it? (laughs) I'm surprised you didn't mention the how I accidentally became a prostitute for a month. That jumped out at me and somehow I didn't have the heart to to bring it up, but now I really (laughs) want to know. How did you become a prostitute, Karen? I don't mind talking about it because I feel like I can justify my behavior at that time. But um, after a breakup, I ended up. Um, signing up for one of those, I don't know, what, what are they called? The sugar baby websites, the what's your price.com or something like that, wow. where you 
meet meet someone and um you know you have to just you have to come up with a price before you go out with them kind of thing and I thought oh, I'll try it I'll see I just wanted to be taken out I I was I really was looking for a distraction at the time so I signed up for this horrible website and I'm like you know it's it's embarrassing but it's funny so that's why I'm telling you about it but I signed up for it and I met three different guys on it and I went out with three different guys. And, um, so you, you, you come up with a price above and beyond the dinner or the activity. Yes. So I think most women that go on this site, I think that that price that's in there is based on, um, sex and stuff like that. But the, the website positions it as incentive for a woman to go out with you. So I'd be talking to you on there and I, and you would say, Hey, I'll give you a hundred bucks. And that's that hundred bucks is to get me to meet you. But I don't think that, I don't think that that's how it actually goes. Like, I think that I'm being very naive in thinking that I don't think it's incentive to meet you. I think that there's ex yeah, there's expectation there of we're going to bang later on. Did you find that each of the three people had that distinct and expressed expectation? I was very lucky. Um, so I went out with three guys. The first guy that I went out with, um, that was the guy that I was talking about that I told him I had to go home to see my son and <laughs> went to my ex-boyfriend's condo down a block away. He, he, he took me to a really expensive restaurant and I felt guilty. He was actually a really nice guy and he didn't have those expectations. He didn't ask for sex. He didn't say anything to me about the physical. And I thought, oh, I'm taking advantage of this guy. And I felt bad, badly about it. So I told him he didn't have to pay me the hundred dollars. I mean, I'm like, clearly I was, I, I'm not cut out for this because I made no money doing it. But um, I just, I was just happy to go out for oysters and have dinner. And um, so he didn't pay me. The next guy that I went out with, we went for sushi. He was a really nice guy. I ended up, um, I did end up fooling around with him in the car, but <laughs> I liked him. He was, you know, it wasn't like an expectation was there. I ended up, you know, I did actually like him, but based on how we had met, I knew that a relationship was never, you know, it was too sleazy. It was too, it, he, we, we're still friends to this day. We still talk. We have a friendship now, but we're just friends because, you know, I'm not going to give my heart to someone I met on whatsyourprice.com. It's just not happening. I, I get that. But on the other hand, I mean, anything can happen. It, the molds are meant to be broken and, and yes. stranger things have happened. And I, I agree. Think that, you know, um, there are, like I said, exceptions, there are yeah. exceptions, but in this case, I, I'm like, no, nah, it's, it, you know, it's, I just, <laughs> I just want to meet the nice Jewish boy. That's like, you know, <laughs> that I went to high school with. I mean, where, where's that guy? <laughs> so, so is that, is that a prerequisite for you dating someone? Uh, it's Jewish? not. No, none of, none of my, um, the pat, the, the two, the two main guys that I talk about in my book happen to be Jewish, but, um, most of the guys that I date, 
um, over my lifetime um, have not been. It's not important. It's never really been important. It, it would be nice. It's it's one of those. It's nice, but it's not a it's not a deal breaker for me. My sister's engaged right now to someone who's not Jewish. Um, my brother was in a long term relationship uh, for about three or four years with someone that wasn't. It. My parents have given up. <laughs> They're just like find someone that makes you happy. So. That's that's sort of the goal right now. Who cares who, who who you know what what God you believe in at this point? Well, like, I guess unless you're you know a really devout um, um, religious person and you really do follow and practice all of it, then it might be a thing. But if you don't, yeah, yeah, I'm not that religious. You're, you're not. No, I fell in love with a Jewish woman, um, hardcore. You, you know, know, we're all wild, right? She was wild. <laughs> she ended up finding her her nice Jewish man, and they had a, a baby, and uh, they're doing oh. very well. She taught me a lot of life lessons. You know, one of the things she taught me, Karen, was that uh, love is unconditional. Relationships are not. And, uh, you know, everyone is a lesson in your life, whether you stick with them or not. Take something away, and if it's a lesson, great. If it's a yeah. $400 dildo, even better. <laughs> I, I really want to get that back for you now. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> well, we covered one already. It was the the guy that admitted, not in your presence, thankfully, that he took a dump in the uh, aisle yeah. at the drugstore. What's something that happened in your presence that you just thought, oh, my God, what is this person doing on this date? What's something weird that happened um, in a date? I mean, like, I don't really have, like, it's more, so there was um, the the, the one relationship that I was in, we were already dating at this point, so it wasn't a date, but he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you to my friends. You know, it was like that, that big, like, uh Oh, like now, now we're there, right? Like we're going to brunch. We're going to Thornhill woods. And you know, if anyone doesn't know, it's like the burbs, we were going to the burbs to meet his like responsible friends for lunch and like Lux and bagel and cream cheese and that kind of thing. And um, and I, so I said I would go and, and, um, he just got plastered out of his mind in the middle of the day. It was, you know, it was 10 o'clock in the morning or 11, you know, I mean, it was lunchtime. It was like, it was brunch and, you know, and I get it. There was about 10 people there and he just made a complete fool of himself in the fact that he started slurring his words. He kept on, um going to the bathroom but he would take his keys with him and i'm like i know the drill like i know what's happening cocaine that, yeah yeah and um which is fine why didn't you invite me like i'm just so confused <laughs> at this right now but you know the back and forth washroom breaks the slurring his words and then him wanting to uh drive home and i said you know you're absolutely not driving home but i was visibly embarrassed and every time he would go out and have a cigarette uh, you know they would say you know, all his friends would say to me you know don't care don't worry karen like this is the way he gets all the time like this is this is who you're dating kind of thing and i didn't oh wow I didn't know. I, I mean, I knew, I knew, but I didn't, you know what I mean? Cause I hadn't actually seen it in broad daylight. You know, when I go out on a date with a guy or when we're, when I'm in a relationship with someone, we, we go out, we drink, we have vodka, it's fun. Um, but this was, you know, in the middle of the day. And so I had never seen it in, in the daylight and they would say to me, you know, are you okay? Are you okay, Karen? I'd be like, I'm fine. But 
so I drove him home and, you know, he's, you know, in the car, he's like fumbling through his playlist. He's trying to find like Tiga's taste and like, it, you know, I mean, it was ridiculous. I love you. I love you so much. And I'm furious at this point. And we get, and he gets home and sleeps it off, whatever. And I speak to him later on in the, at night. And I told, I just said to him, I'm not trying to cause a fight. I don't want to you know, I, I don't want to make this into an issue, but you know, it seems to me like you might have a little bit of a problem with alcohol and just, just asking if you tone it down a little. And he's like, Oh, you know, you know, he got all defensive, but of course he did promise me that he would tone it down. But instead of toning it down, he literally broke up with me two days later. You know, I basically call him on something that, you know, he might have a problem with and something that he needs to change. And then two days later, he's literally thanking me for the good times. Like he called me up and was like, this is, this is the guy that also said that he wanted to marry me. He's like, thanks for the good times, but let's just, let's, you know, it's, it's time to call it. I'm like, what? Some, some yeah. people will trade in all of their, they'll trade in you for all of their yeah. vices and that's nothing yeah. under the sun is it how old yeah. was he 52 harvey Keitel or somebody was on stern years ago and i remember the wisdom more than i remember for sure if it was Keitel. it sounds like something he might have said though he's kind of a man's man and wise i love and him experienced. By the way. right but he said you know what men are shit till they're 40 and which i <laughs> which i amended to at yeah. least it's more yeah. like 50 and not all men, of course. Yeah, I think. But yeah. a lot of us, you know, mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's like, well, here, let's talk about sober sex. <laughs> Have I had any? I dated people when I was drinking. I dated people when they were drinking. I dated people when we were both drinking too much. And yeah. there were some relationships that lasted three and four years where we weren't ever barely completely sober because the sex ended up being at the end of the day and then yeah. you get up really early yeah. and go to your work and then you're working really hard and then then you get together and you drink with dinner and you drink after dinner yeah. and you make love and you know what i fucking hate that world i don't do that anymore you know a couple glasses of wine maybe at most but there's nothing better to me than than fucking when you're not drinking i'll have to give that a try I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, Morning sex is God. the best. More, I, right. I am kidding. Morning sex is <laughs> so awesome and so nice and so fun. But I, you know, I mean, I'm half kidding because I'm trying to think of, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the times, yeah, it is at the end of the night and you've had a few drinks or, you know, you've done some things and yeah, but it, you're you're right. It, like, if you've got a connection with someone, then you don't really need any of that crap, do you? It's way more fun to not have that crap. I mean, your senses are dulled dramatically from yeah. the booze and whatever, and, and I just won't do it anymore. It's just way more fulfilling without. And, and, and you're more really? vulnerable, and you're more open, and you're more real, and you have eye contact, and yeah. there's no hiding, yeah. and you remember everything. That's your like go-to thing now. I mean, I, I had a I had a relationship. We never got drunk together once in years. Wow! And we definitely never had anything to drink when we were when we were about to fuck, and that was the best sex of my life as a result. And I mean, obviously, we we were we were great together, but yeah. I attribute at least a, a good portion of that to to doing it sober. I think it's important if you are 
only drunk, like if you're only having sex when you're drunk, then, you know, that's maybe time to look in the mirror, <laughs> have a right. little talk with yourself. Right? <laughs> and not even just drunk. I mean, you know, two, three drinks, it's enough to dull you. Um, yeah. and I'm certainly no anti-boozer. I'm just, just for me, I know it feels good. I know it works. My, my friends, I have some friends that say, I, we used to joke, I have like a 15 minute window where if I'm drinking, so I, I, I can drink a martini and I get, I'll, I'll, it'll, it'll hit me really quickly. And in those, and then I've got like a 15 minute window. You can do whatever you want. You can propose <laughs> anything I am in. They knew it was, if it was going to happen, it's only happening now, but <laughs> my window, my window of, of opportunity. But, um, I do agree with you that it's nice to have a connection with someone where you don't have to feel that you need to get drunk in order to have sex with them. <laughs> That's, um, those are always the best relationships probably. So thank you. Let me ask you this place that you went on a date that you thought, what are we doing here? But it turned out really well. It was actually a good environment, whether it was in a park or whether it was on the top of a building. What was a really cool place to go on a date? I'm a creature of habit, so you're asking the wrong person, I think. I mean, if some guy ever proposed a park to me, I would, I mean, I'd never email that guy back. I'm like, no, you're taking me out. We're going, you know, you call me a princess before. When you actually have a connection with someone, it really doesn't matter what you're doing. But I'd say my dates are pretty boring. They usually consist of a martini with my blue cheese olives that I have not taken a bite of yet. And <laughs> Why? I don't know. I know I should. I'm going to in a few minutes. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just, I just want to go, you know, for me, I just want to get to know a person and like those park dates or those like, let's go for a Starbucks. I think those are lame. I'm like, no, hell no. Like if I'm, if I'm going to meet you, you know, you're, you got to bring it. So that's sort of, that's sort of been my, my go-to, but I'm trying to think like, you're asking me if I've like, what's the best date I've ever been on or. No, just a strange um, place that you thought this is really strange, but and it turned out it was actually a pretty good date because you got along well. It yeah. defied the odds. Like the bartenders at the restaurants that I go to, they all know me and they all know every single time I go there, it's like a different guy on the stool beside me, but they're all like, mm-hmm, okay, you're on another one. I mean, like I said, I'm, I just go to the same places all the time and I'm, I'm open. If someone wants to take me somewhere exciting that I've never been to, then I'm open to that. But so far it's usually same same bar, same bar stool, same bartender. They know my drink. I'm totally not taking you to Yorkville if we ever go out. <laughs> and take me somewhere else, Jeff. Like take, <laughs> I'll go anywhere at this point. I'm just I'm actually getting tired of the Yorkville scene, so I would like right. to maybe maybe I will I was, try a I, coffee date. Maybe yeah. the next time someone proposes that I will be more open. You know, they say the, the definition of insanity is doing things the same way and expecting exactly. different Exactly. I think for me, and I like it because I don't want to come across as this person that like will only go to fancy places. I think for me, because I'm a single mom and I'm raising my child on my own, I 
really value those nights when I do get to go out. And so I want to make it an event. I want to go to an expensive restaurant. I want to go somewhere really nice and just sort of make it an event because I don't get them very often. And so I think people mistake that for me being like, oh, she's fancy, but it's not the (laughs) fanciness. It's just, I don't go out much. And so when I do, I want to put on the mascara and I want to do the like, I want to get out my, I mean, I've, I've, I bought myself my first pair of Louboutins ever. I finally decided to, you know, get a pair. They've been in the box. I've had them for six months. They've, they're still in the box. I've never worn them. I've never worn them out. You can go online. Like I was like researching, you can buy these like little tape things that you could put over the bottoms. So the, the red doesn't scratch. And so when I was in uh, Louboutin, I was asking, I was asking the sales girl about it. And she's like, no, no, no. It's you're meant to leave a red trail wherever you go. Like that's the whole, that's the whole concept of like the red bottom <laughs> shoes. She's like, you can't put tape on the bottom. And I'm like, but I want to, you know, I want to preserve them. She's like, no, no, no. It's, you, you do not deserve to own a pair if you're going to do that. And so, <laughs> like I said, I've still, they're still in the box. I've never worn them. Um, I'm planning on wearing them one day, but <laughs> Here's the most, uh, this is one of the strangest segues, but you set me up. I'll knock it down. Um, the Red Trail. You do have a, a passage in your book. Oh, no. About the, about, <laughs> right? Guys who won't fuck but, you on your period. Thank you for saying it. I don't have to now. Yeah. I yeah. I think that's one of the best lubrications on the face of the earth. Um, what are your thoughts? <laughs> My thoughts are there's two types of men. There's the A and the B guys. The A guys will fuck you on your period. The B guys won't. I don't deal with B guys. I mean, what's yeah. a, li- a little bit of a mess? Who cares? If your sex sex is, is, is supposed to be fun and it can be dirty at times and who cares if there's a little bit of blood? You throw a towel down and you're ready. You know, who cares? So I feel like when men are not into that it's not it i feel like it's there's a there's a bigger issue at hand and that has to do with they're just not their inhibitions are like they just don't they're not really into into things and i want a guy that doesn't like who the fuck cares there's a few i words karen there's inhibited there's insecure there's inexperienced And when all these converge in the same person, you're maybe not going to have as much fun as you deserve or think you deserve or would like to have in a a relationship. You let it go. You can let go of that. Everyone's got their limits. (laughs) So, you know, but I do, I do talk about that in the book. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. You talk about (laughs) so many things in the book. I I think it's a wonderful book. You are, you are a, a kind and generous person. And I didn't know that about you. We'd only met briefly. And it shines yeah. through in, in our conversation, so thank you. But what really shines through in the book is so much comedy. Uh, you're an incredible yeah. writer. And, thank and I, you. And I hope it's going to go as well for you as I think it will. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's all about poking fun at yourself. And at the end of the day, I mean, not taking things too seriously. Um, I have so many things that have happened to me that I just thought, like, this is funny. It's just funny. I can share it. It's not a big deal. And, um, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just like being honest and poking fun at situations that have happened because we've all been there. We've all gone through these things. So 
I think it's important to share. <laughs> well, you shared. I don't think you've yeah. overshared, though. I think you've shared just the right amount. Um, and yeah. I love the title. Good. I mean, obviously, the reference isn't lost on me. Let's talk yeah. about X Baby. It's, yep. it's perfect. I had actually my, my original, I'll tell you, but my original title was going to be Pussy Struggles. And then I was going to have like the U or something like crossed out or something. I thought <laughs> that that's really funny. Um, but I had a bunch of people tell me that like that might, that might be hard to sell in a bookstore and that kind of thing. And the, you know, using the word pussy. I mean, I know people have taken back the word and it's not so, um, you know, taboo anymore. And it's, it's a word of empowerment now, but, um, yeah, the original title was pussy struggles and then it became, let's talk about X baby and, you know, salt and pepper and Peppa reference and, you know, the whole song. And I thought that's probably more fitting because, you know, I'm really just revealing all my shitty exes. So it's perfectly titled. It really is. Yeah. And we already have Pussy you. Riot. You can't do a better reference about Pussy than Pussy Riot, the band. Yes, true, true, true. But let's talk yes. about X, baby. It's, I wish you all the best with it. And, and, Thank uh, you. And I'll spread the word. Thank you for writing me a blurb. It was, I had, you know, so many, I had about eight or nine blurbs. And, um, you know, I had people contact me directly saying, the Jeff Woods blurb was the best one. Like, they, everyone loved your blurb, so... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I got a lot of positive feedback. That's kind of you to say. I I really wanted to do justice um, because it was due for this this great book and perfect book to read and have and hold and put on your bedside table and fall asleep to it. But down the line, I would love to hear you do the audio book too. I'm in the works right now. We're, I'm, we're, we're doing, we're going to do the audio book. I was going to actually get someone else to do it for me. And I thought, you know what? I think I got, I have to do it. The story has to be told with, with my, my voice. So I'm going to, uh, I am in, I'm in the process of looking into that right now. So I will keep you posted, Jeff. Karen, thank you. It was a pleasure to see you in this context. It was so nice to be here. I love our talks. I want to. I'm kind of waiting for you to ask me out on a date. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, Maybe. (laughs) I'll have to clear my schedule. She did it right at the Blue Hotel. She did it right at the Blue Hotel. This is a story about three people and their shared love of wet, warm, delicious openings and hard, thick, throbbing shafts destined to find their way inside. Each of them puts a capital B in LGBTQ. Before we get started with their story, it was thought by some alleged thinkers that you could only be attracted to a man or a woman, not both. And that men who liked men were with women too only because of social pressures. And while that did happen, it didn't mean it was also not the case for many. The belief that bisexual men were simply gay and not ready to admit it was thankfully disproved by science. Male participants by the hundreds showed up not only to be questioned about their sexual preferences, but then they also became outfitted with sensors on the heads of their cocks. And then they were shown images, photos, and videos of men and women and the way their cocks responded to the images told the truth about what turned them on. 
and the men who identified as hetero were turned on by the images of women, as you might expect, and the ones who identified as bisexual were turned on by both. Those who settle into it find it to be the best of both worlds. For Caleb, it was relatively later, as wisdom suggests precisely when it was supposed to happen. He remembered being maybe 10 or 11 years old when he found a novel behind the schoolyard. Its cover ripped off. In the middle of a couple of hundred pages of text were photographs, black and white ones with men and women having sex. He thought, where did this come from and who threw it away and what happened to it? And he found himself just about as intrigued by the men he saw as by the women. But he didn't give it much serious thought, filing it away as you do in the back of your mind. And when he was old enough to realize what it might mean, those social pressures pushed him to respond to the part of him that was attracted to women and ignore the other parts. Later in college at a party, a guy came on to Caleb and strong, but he wasn't ready to acknowledge the desires that were, by this point, deeply buried. And then he approached 30 and was partnered with an incredibly sexually open woman. And that helped open him up, too. She was cool with how he felt. And bubbling to the surface finally was the realization that it was okay to have an affinity for both sexes. Now fast forward to this early evening as a couple that Caleb knew reached out. Caleb had been with him before. They'd been friends for years, bonding in various social settings, mostly concerts followed by strip clubs, typically. There was always sexual innuendo about sucking Caleb's cock or Caleb sucking his. It was a constant with Lenny, unleashing a force of nature that came with a powerful lust and all kinds of new possibilities. Now, Lenny was with Georgia, and she enjoyed the taste of pussy just as much as he, and he enjoyed the taste of cock as much as she. They felt exactly the way Caleb felt about it all, so it was perfect, or as perfect as it can get. And on this humid, lazy, early summer evening, they had their sight set on Caleb's cock. Apparently, Lenny's review of it made Giorgio wet. The message Lenny sent to Caleb read, Come for drinks after work. We'll be waiting. And so it was that Caleb traded his view from one North York high-rise for another nearby. This one came with his half-dressed friends. Georgia was petite but firm and strong and nipple-hard in a white wife-beater. Thong panties and white sport socks. She glided through a room on her tiptoes like a dancer or a gymnast, with her short, shiny, pitch-black punk rock hair. She poured three drinks and returned to the den where Lenny, clad in blue jeans and bare-chested, sat upon one couch, with Caleb sitting directly across on the other. Georgia cozied up next to Lenny and the three sipped their Cuba Libres and savored the taste and the moment in anticipation of what was about to unfold. Before anyone could have counted to ten, Georgia's right hand unzipped Lenny, reaching in, carefully negotiating it from his pant leg. Lenny's cock was always hard and pointing straight down, trapped in his pant leg. He never wore underwear, so it stiffened where it lay. But now it was free, thanks to Georgia, who gripped it in her hand and stroked and squeezed and pulled and played. It was on display. She was showing it off to Caleb, whose own cock was stiff and ready to be let loose, too. So out it came with his own hand, working it while he watched Georgia's mouth move on to Lenny. She worked him so skillfully between the softness of her lips. Caleb was kind of shocked at how she could make the entire thing disappear in her mouth. Lenny's cock was both long and super thick. 
Caleb got lost in his thoughts about having the pleasure of Lenny's cock in his hands and mouth before, too. Remembering how years ago, when both men were just in their twenties, how Lenny strutted down Young Street with that ass-wiggling swagger, cocky and cocksure and cock-stiff, Caleb himself long noted for his own butt-shaking strut. It was just the way he rolled. Georgia sucked the sweetness of Lenny's pre-cum that she loved, and it made Caleb crave the taste, too. He and Lenny had gotten together every couple of weeks that summer, both men routinely filling each other's hands and mouths and stomachs with hot loads of shooting cum. George's hand, and for that matter, Caleb's before it, couldn't reach all the way around Lenny's thick shaft, and its length made most lovers gag. But lucky for Lenny, Georgia didn't have a gag reflex. She worked his cock over and stared him straight in the eye as she did, while Lenny watched Caleb watching Georgia using her mouth on him, grinning as he did, and then he said very matter-of-factly, Show me. And so Georgia, with her lips still wrapped around Lenny's cock, raised her arms, pulling her tank top off, exposing her smallish but sexy firm tits, and Lenny gripped them, and he took her nipples between his fingers, which pleased her, and she rocked her body back and forth, which was sign language for squeeze harder, and he did. So hard that she squeaked, and pulled her head from his cock, and gasped, and proclaimed, Fuck, I love when you do that. And so he kept squeezing, and her pelvis started into a proper fucking motion in the air. And she said, I need it. And Lenny needed it, too, and Caleb needed to watch. She yanked off her panties and tossed them toward Caleb, landing on his leg. He picked them up, and they were soaked, and he smelled them, and they smelled real and ripe and divine. Then Georgia straddled Lenny and lowered herself onto his ready cock, dropping down on it hard, but with ease, her soaked hole gripping it tightly and she began riding him as Lenny's fingers returned to her nipples, squeezing them as she squeezed the thickness of his cock. Caleb's own strokes with his hand were slow and steady. He loved watching people get fucked. Lenny wanted Caleb to feel what he knew Caleb wouldn't believe until he had felt it for himself. And so he said something to Georgia that she clearly understood because of what she did next. Georgia lifted herself off of Lenny's cock and stood and said to Caleb, on your back on the floor right there. As she eyed the spot just beyond where Caleb was sitting, and she said, take your pants off and your shirt, I want to see you. And Caleb did what he was told, slipping out of his shirt and jeans, getting onto his back on the floor, his cock standing at attention like a flagpole. Georgia nudged his legs apart, now with her thighs in between them and her ass in the air, and she wiggled it invitingly. And Lenny wasted no time, sliding right back into George's hole from behind. Then she dropped her head down, wrapping her lips around the throbbing head of Caleb's happy cock. She sucked lightly at first, playing along the edge of its swollen head, teasing gently with her teeth, nudging it like a cap on a bottle, as though she were unscrewing it with her lips and then tightening it back up, and again, and again. George's lips were red and swollen by all the work she'd been doing on Lenny's cock and they were as soft as the petals of a flower. Their grip was astounding. Her mouth like a clamp that Caleb had never felt before or since that night. And she put her deep throat to work now, too, on him. And without taking her mouth away from Caleb's cock, George's body was being positioned for some serious driving as Lenny lifted her into the captain position, his body standing upright, her legs wrapped back and around his waist, his hands, one under her right thigh, one gripping her right ass cheek, 
while her hands were on the floor in front of her and her head still clamped on Caleb's cock. And the three settled into a rhythm together, slow at first, gradually picking up tempo. As Lenny's cock drilled Georgia from behind and her lips found a spot at the base of Caleb's cock, her mouth salivated profusely and the spit ran down and all around his balls. It was a feat of human strength, thought Caleb, marveling at the grip that Georgia maintained around his cock as Lenny pounded Georgia's pussy and the room filled with the sound of his balls slapping her perfect ass. She began to rise and fall on Caleb, whose cock was so far down her throat, the tip was a visible bulge in her neck with every stroke. Georgia's sporty tight body was getting a workout from above. The moans from Caleb below were telling of the unparalleled pleasure she was bestowing upon him. What she needed, though, was to come. Both men knew that ladies first was always a win-win. And Lenny knew that were she to climax the way she most wanted to, and the way he most loved to witness her do so, he'd have to take matters into his hands. Despite the ongoing ecstasy of having her tightness wrapped around his cock, instead Lenny gripped both of her hips, withdrew himself from inside of her cunt, as she released her grip on Caleb's cock with her mouth, and stood straight up, and stretched her arms above her head, and spread her legs, and felt the muscles tingle everywhere in her body. Caleb's gaze was fixed upon her glistening pubic hair, drenched like the hole beneath it was, with sweat and juice from inside of her. Then Lenny got on his knees before her, and Caleb moved a bit to the right to bear witness. Lenny worked his fingers inside her like a piston, in and out, pulling back up on her G-spot with each stroke, gradually escalating the pace. George's sounds were muted at first, and then they grew in volume as her breathing went from faint to frenzied. And the piston kept pumping. The stroking was intense. She knew she was about to explode. And when she did, Lenny said to Caleb, Take it! And moved his body to the left so Caleb could position himself in line with Georgia, who unloaded in a gushing stream that shot directly toward Caleb. He opened his mouth and received all she had to give, and his face was soaked, and his mouth was full of her. She tasted so sweet, and he swallowed her down. George's body was shuddering while she continued pressing down on her clit and her legs were on fire. She was addicted to the feeling of her pussy gushing the way it did. Then she dropped to her knees, but she wasn't about to rest. She needed to get her fill of what she was certain was ready to blow between Caleb's legs. And so she dropped back down, taking him inside of her mouth again, in long, intense strokes. And he wasn't long for this motion. His head was still light and spinning from the sight of her squirting and the taste of her liquid. Georgia sensed Caleb's balls were ready, and she was right. In her head, she counted out nine strokes and then ten, and as he blew his load into her mouth, he let out a deep and guttural fuck. She licked her lips and smiled. Lenny's grin was that of a proud boyfriend who reveled in watching his girl squirt and come and in watching his friend explode between her lips. And now it was his turn. Georgia needed to sit down, and she pulled Lenny out of the couch beside her, and she took him into her hand and stroked his shaft. And she looked at Caleb and wondered what he was thinking. Caleb craved more of the taste of Georgia, and knowing it was all over Lenny's cock, he moved forward and wrapped his lips upon his shaft. Georgia made room, moving her hand down, wrapping itself around Lenny's balls on the base of his big cock while Caleb sucked and sucked. 
and coaxed a rumble from deep inside of Lenny, working him with his mouth, until Lenny came as hard as anyone had ever come, and Caleb didn't waste a drop. His friend's cock shot and his balls drained into Caleb's mouth, and then what neither man saw coming was George's mouth, as it met Caleb's, and she darted her tongue inside and out of his, scooping out and sucking back as much of his cum as she could. It was messy, and it was hot, and it was time to make another round of drinks and sit back and laugh and celebrate a hot summer night and the start of Pride. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. Please take me back to the Blue Hotel. to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man Podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com.